Let's pray, shall we? Father God, this morning, again, we just want to still our hearts before you, Lord. I want to thank you for those wonderful words we've been singing this morning. Remind us again of the privileged relationship that we have with you. Reminds us, Lord, of your grace and your mercy, which has been so abundantly poured out into our hearts and into our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for your ever-living word. For it is by your word, Lord, that, uh, that you created all things. And Genesis reminds us that you spoke and everything came into being. Lord, your word is a life-giving word. And this morning as we open it up to uh, James chapter 5, as we continue in our series in this uh, wonderful letter, Lord, we pray that uh, your word will indeed uh, help us in our own spiritual lives today to know the right paths to walk. Lord, we might walk in your righteous paths. That, Father, we might be, uh, I guess, really... um, helped in our, in our hearts to see that as we live according to your word, that that is what true life is, true, is really all about. And so we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, one of the most, I think one of the most difficult issues that I can uh, sometimes try to, try to come to grips with in my life uh, is, is this. Why is it that those who do wrong and commit evil and things like that seem to prosper? You ever wondered about that? Yes? Why is it that those who can oftentimes inflict hardship and suffering, particularly on the innocent, who you know, might not have any sort of apparent qualms or anything like that in stepping on people to get what they want, those people who have little or no respect for what is right, and good in this world. Why is it that those people who just, you know, tend to just forget about all these things, why is it that they seem to prosper and, and get ahead? You know, I just, a uh, classic example for me comes to mind. You know, I take the girls to school each, uh, most mornings up, you know, up to, uh, to, to uh, Rothwell and you've got to go through the Rothwell roundabout and sometimes they've got the roadworks there as you come past the, the Woolworth service station and so you've got one lane coming, or two, sorry, two lanes coming down into one lane and so you get the cars and they'll sort of start to indicate and they'll sort of merge across. But there's always those people who want to go right to the very end where the witches' hats, you know, sort of are there to, to, to push in at the front. Yeah, you know that? Yeah, that they do. They just want to get right in the very front. That irks me. Thinking everyone else can, you know, to merge across, but not. They've got to get right to the very front. You know, our world today is filled with, with people who just have no regard for, for what is right and what is good in this world. Have no right, no sort of regard or, or, or any kind of, um, I guess any kind of uh, desire to, fo- to follow what God has set down in his perfect ways for our world today. And they seem to just, you know, f- forget about that and just keep pushing ahead with their own agendas and, you know, their own ways about, about life, regardless of what the cost is for our society and our communities and our people and that sort of thing. They just want to just keep pushing ahead with their own ways. A total, you know, denigration, if you like, of, of Christianity and of, of, of God's ways. The writer of Psalm 73, a man called Asaph, writes this. 
He says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. Asaph looks at the world around him and he sees people like this just who have just got evil in their hearts and just keep just, just keep you know getting ahead and nothing seems to sort of you know impinge upon their lives they seem to be just you know things seem to be going swimmingly for them and yet the 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 the, the innocent the people who try to do the right thing are the ones who suffer and he says oh, I was envious I was envious of them he goes on to say that, you know, he says, you know, Lord, my feet had nearly slipped. You know, I'd nearly forgotten about you because my eyes are on these people. I don't know about you, but I just really hate injustice. It's one of those things which really gets under my um, skin. Thanks, Bree. Good on you. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, it's one thing to get annoyed, though, for others who are treated unfairly. But what about when it comes to us personally? What about when it comes to you and me from a personal point of view? How do we respond when, when we are wronged and the person who wrongs us seems to, to get away with it? They seem to prosper in their lives or they, you can even benefit out of the whole situation. What should be the response of us as believers in Jesus Christ? The mature spiritual response for us as believers it's interesting, James is, in verses 1 to 6, he's, he's given this really stinging rebuke, if you like, to, to those who oppress the poor, those who, uh, who've got an extremely selfish outlook on life. We saw that last week as we looked at those verses. And he, you know, he sort of has really, uh, um, really comes down hard on these people and tells them that their focus on wealth and an indulgent living is, is foolish. It's foolish because life is fleeting. But not only that, he talks about their wealth. Their wealth and their riches are temporary. And he says that judgment is coming. Judgment is going to come upon them. And so their gaining of riches at the expense of, of the poor and, the, and, and those who, who seem to be the, the innocent in this world has not gone unnoticed by God. God notices, God knows, and God understands. And God promises that there is a day of reckoning that is coming upon them. In verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Here in this next section that we're looking at this morning in verses 7 to 8, James kind of shifts to those who are the oppressed. He kind of flips to the other side of the coin, if you like. And he urges his readers, those, you know, the, uh, the Christians in the, the Jewish Christians in the uh, church who have been sort of scattered throughout the Roman Empire, who themselves, many of them, are really, really struggling in life because they are being oppressed. They are the ones who are, who are suffering at the hands of the, the rich and the evil and the wrongdoer and things like that. He said, he urges them, he says, you know, some of you who have been wronged, but there is a, a proper response that you should have in the midst of these kind of circumstances in your life. And he, and, he, and he says it twice. He says, be patient. 
Be patient. In verse 7 and verse 8, James encourages his readers, his listeners, to be patient in these kind of circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it really, really hard to be patient in those circumstances, particularly when the person is trying to push in right at the front of the line, getting across in the lanes. There's one guy uh, the, the other day, he was in a four-wheel drive and he wasn't letting anyone through. He, was, he straddled the white line and he was just taking up both lanes so no one could get through. <clears throat> James says, be patient. The, uh, this word patient in the original language, the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, refers not just to a, a patience in, in difficult and hard circumstances, but is also a patience towards difficult people. And we all know, we all, we're all confronted with difficult people in our lives. Every single one of us will experience this kind of hardship in our lives. At some point or another, we'll all experience it. Whether it's a result of circumstances or whether it's a result of, of other people's actions, but we will all know these circumstances in our lives. And we will all struggle with these feelings of, of wanting to, to, you know, to, to, to right that wrong, to get back at that person who hurts us, who does the wrong thing. As Christians, we're not immune to this. We're human beings. But there's an added dimension for us as believers in this world as well. Because it's, it's, it's not just the normal struggles of everyday life that we have to deal with, but it's also the struggles that come as a result of being a believer in Jesus in this world and the opposition that, 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 we, that we face because of that. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 19, Jesus had these words for his disciples where he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus is, is, is speaking to his followers. This is just before he's arrested and he's, and he's put on the cross and killed. He says to his disciples, You know what? You need to be ready for this. You need to be ready for this, this, this hardship and this struggle that you're going to face in your life because you are my followers, because you are people who trust in me and want to live your life according to, according to my ways. He says, if the world hates you, and it's, it's not if, it's, it's when the world hates you. Know that it's hated me first. It's hated Jesus first. He says, if you were of the world, the world would, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In John 16.33, Jesus goes on to say, I have said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In me you might have peace. So there is one of the, the hints at how we can have this patience and this peace in midst these circumstances in our world today, that we need to continually find our refuge and our trust in Jesus Christ. He says that in me you, you might have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. Folks, we need to expect hardship, but in the midst of this hardship, we as the followers of Jesus Christ are to be patient. We are to remain patient. Another way of speaking about patience is, is to use the, uh, the old word long-suffering. That's what it actually sort of, I guess, really translates to. It's a long-suffering. 
It speaks of enduring in the midst of hardship and struggles in our day-to-day lives at the hands of evildoers. And if we, as we reflect on, on, on those words, we need, to, we need to, I guess, have our minds cast back right to the beginning of the letter of James in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, where he says this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a, another aspect of this patience, if you like, this long-suffering, this steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James is saying here that, you know, that, that we are to see these trials as opportunities in our life for God to continue to form us and to shape us into the people that he wants us to be, into these spiritually mature, godly followers of Jesus. And he says these trials, in fact, can be a good and essential thing for our spiritual growth. Now, it's not the trial itself that we are to see as good, but, it, but what it is able to produce or what God is able to produce in us in the midst of those trials and hardships. That's what James is saying. If we have this confident trust in God, if we have this confident and humble dependence upon God in our lives, in the midst of these trials, then we are promised that positive things can result for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, I know a verse that many of you uh, have taken great comfort from. It says, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. All things, both good and bad, in our lives, God promises can be used to bring about this spiritual maturity in our hearts if we've got a confident trust in him and a humble dependence upon him in our lives. Now, the hard thing with patience is that it involves waiting. <laughs> it involves waiting. Any parent knows that that, they know that dreaded question that, uh, that winds its way from the back seat, from the, the lips of a child who has been cooped up in the car for, uh, for, you know, a, 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 I guess an extended period of time. That, those words that says, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know what I'm talking about. And we tell them to be patient. It's not long now even if it is another hour or two down the road. <laughs> See, the hope that James holds out for his readers for being patient in the midst of hardship is a very, very confident and wonderful guarantee of hope that we have that is coming for us as Christians. James refers to it here as the coming of the Lord. I don't know about you, but uh, I probably don't think enough and contemplate enough the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the future. And that day could come at any time. At any time. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Until the coming of the Lord. 
James has got in mind this wonderful day, this glorious day when Jesus Christ, in all his majesty and splendour, will come back to earth and will actually be revealed to everyone, to every eye will see. Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is the hope of every believer in Jesus Christ. This coming of Jesus back to take home with him all those who are his children. To set up his eternal reign of of righteousness throughout all of this world. Throughout all of his creation. Right now, we are, in the t- we are in a time where Jesus has, has come, he's given his life, he's sacrificed his life on the cross, he's risen from the dead, and right now he's back there at home in heaven, and there he intercedes for his followers, for his, for his children there before the Father. And during this time, this, 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 this period of time be- between then and the time that Jesus comes again, people have got an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ as Saviour. God is being patient, Peter talks about. God is being patient that people would come to a saving knowledge of him and therefore avoid God's coming wrath when, the, when God brings the end of the history to a close. God is being patient. And none of us know the day or the hour, the Bible says, when Christ will return. Jesus himself said, I don't know the day or the hour, only the Father knows that. But in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, take heart. He says to his his followers, take heart. Let me read it to you this, this, this morning. He says this, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God and believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, then I I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That was the promise that Jesus gave his followers there in, in, uh, in just before his, his death and resurrection. He says, you know what? He says, I am going away. But I'm going away for a purpose, and that is to prepare a place for each and every one of my children. And if I go away to prepare that place for you, then, don't, then doesn't it then, you know, um, can't think of the word, doesn't it then sort of, um, that's no, gone, follow, thank you, thank you. Struggling today. Doesn't it then follow? that I'll actually come then and take you to be at that place that I prepared for you? And where I am, there you also will be? That is the hope that we have, folks. That is the, the wonderful and glorious hope that we as Christians have, that Jesus is coming back. And in God's whole you know, calendar of, of salvation, this is the final, the final thing that needs to be done. This is, this is all that, that needs to happen now in God's eschological calendar, that's God's end time calendar, is for Jesus Christ to return and take his church to be with him forever and to, and to judge right and wrong completely for good. 
the writers of the New Testament were so excited about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The letter to Titus says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul's letter to the, to the church at uh, Thessalonica in Greece, he says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do we as believers today encourage each other with with reference to the coming of the Lord that, you know what, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he is going to set everything right. And all this injustice and all this stuff that we've been talking about so far this morning, all of this evil, you know, these, these, uh, this wrongdoing and all of this, this, this evil that, that is taking place in our world today, that has taken place right from the beginning of time, God is going to judge and he's going to set all wrong right. And he is going to judge every single person for how they've lived their lives. And it will be at that time that Jesus will finally bring an end to all evil and all suffering. All the injustices will be set right and every person who has followed Jesus Christ, even under difficult you know, and, and trying um, hardship, even those who have been, you know, we, we look at the, uh, the Middle East today and Christians and believers over there and other parts of the world who are losing their, their lives for their faith, Jesus says, you will be vindicated And people will then look at you and they will see they were right after all. Jesus is coming back, folks. Amen. And those who belong to him, we are going to rejoice in that. And all the stuff that we've had to deal with in this life, Jesus is going to say, it's, it, I'm going to take care of it all. I'm going to set all of the injustices right. And you will be with me forever and ever and ever. And there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more hardship. All of the struggles that you have with your bodies as they fall apart and as they stop working the way that they should be. All of the struggles that you have in relationships and things like that. All of the hardships that you face because of your faith in Jesus Christ. All of the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the ridiculing and, and, and the persecution and that sort of stuff will come to an end. And righteousness will reign. Folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to live our lives in light of eternity. Because this earthly life is just a vapour. It is just like a morning mist 
here one minute and gone the next. Folks, we are just passing through this world on our way home. Peter talks about the fact that as believers, we are aliens and strangers in this world. We are not of this world. We have to live in it, but we are not of this world. Our home is a wonderful and glorious home there in heaven with our Saviour Jesus. And it is there that one day we will live with him in absolute perfection. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. And that's why Paul can write in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 these words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that is exactly the emphasis that James is saying here in verse 7. He's saying, be patient. Be patient in the midst of this time because the Lord is coming back and there is nothing. All the sufferings in this world aren't even worth comparing with what is about to be revealed to us and in future glory with Christ. To illustrate his point, James says, look at the farmer. The farmer has to wait patiently for his crops to grow. And any farmer knows that farming is hard work. They have to prepare the soil. They've got to plant the seed. They've got to fertilise the plants. They've got to keep the weeds at bay. All that sort of stuff. But there are a number of things that are beyond the farmer's control. The rains, for instance. Here it's talking about the, the early spring rains. Sorry, the early autumn rains and the late spring rains. The autumn rains would come, that would be where they could sort of, you know, they, where they would plant the plants, where they would plant their crop. And then they would hope for the, for the later spring rains to come, which would bring that crop to its, to its fulfillment, where they would produce this, this harvest, if you like. He says, think about the farmer. There are lots of things the farmer can do, but there are many things that are beyond his control. He cannot even guarantee a harvest from his crops. All of this he needs to leave in God's hands. He's got to wait patiently for the rains to come. He's got to wait patiently for the plants to grow. And he's got to wait patiently for those plants to mature and to produce a harvest, to to provide that precious fruit that James speaks about here in verse 7. Folks, as believers, this is what we need to do when it comes to enduring hardship. We need to entrust ourselves to God and to wait patiently for him to work in his time. But ultimately, God will bring about that precious fruit. It will arrive in his coming, in his glorious appearing. Paul reminds the Galatians in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Sadly today, though, there are many, many people who attend churches who are giving up. They are giving up in light of all that is taking place in the world and the hardships that they're experiencing in their lives. They're saying, you know what, this is just not worth it. Folks, don't you be one of them. Don't you be one of them who says, I just can't keep going anymore. (laughs) 
Instead, keep trusting in God. Be patient because God will, at his appointed time, bring about his, his righteousness. He will bring about this, this, this vindication, if you like. He'll bring, a, he'll bring everything to a proper conclusion in your life. But in our waiting, though, we're not to be, not to just to sit passively and idly by. James says in verse 8 that we are to establish our hearts. He says this, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says it's, 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 it's coming, it's, it's at hand. In the next verse that we'll look at next week, he says Jesus is, is right at the door. It's not long now, folks, it's not long. That word for establish our hearts is used also in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 where it speaks of Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem. This is the, the crucial turning point in the Gospel of Luke. Up until this point, Jesus has been carrying out his, his public ministry in the northern part of, of Israel, up there in the regions of Galilee. But at Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, there is a complete turn in the Gospel. And it says from that point on, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And what it's talking about there is that Jesus had then a steely resolve, a, a, a dogged determination, if you like, to go to Jerusalem and to face all that he would, that he would have to endure on the cross and at the hands of men and that, in that city. But knowing all that, Jesus still doggedly kept going. He had a steely resolve, as I said. And folks, our hearts need to be fixed on the things of God in a persistent and humble dependence upon him. It means that having an attitude of our heart where we are going to stay the course no matter what. No matter what happens in our life, with God's help we are going to stay the course for Christ. I think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel 3 where they themselves were faced with, a, with quite a predicament. The, the king had set up this huge big statue of himself in this, in this valley and he made a law that, to, that said to all the people of his kingdom they needed to come to this valley and they needed to kneel and bow down and worship this statue of the king. And all of these people gathered there in the valley in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these three you know, followers of Jesus Christ, humble followers of, sorry, humble followers of God. They were there and, and, and everyone bowed down and everyone got down on their, their hands and their knees and their face down towards the ground. And here, standing out above everyone else was Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, still on their feet. You can't hide that, folks, can you? And so this, the king had a, a fiery furnace that was prepared for them. And he says, you know what? Either you bow down or you go into that furnace. And they said, oh Lord, he, they said to the king, they said, oh king, they said, our God is able to save us. But if he chooses not to, we will still not bow down and worship your image. We will not bow down and worship your gods or worship this golden image that you have set up. And so they were thrown into this fiery furnace. And it's in the midst of that we, know, we, we see that Christ himself met them there in the midst of that. And as we doggedly remain 
firm and secure on that path, establishing our hearts in the ways of God, keeping having this firm and steely resolve to keep going for Christ, we will face incredible hardship in our lives for it. But Christ will meet us there in the midst of those hardships. He has promised to do that and he will be our comfort and our help and he will be the one who enables us to remain patient in the midst of those times, waiting for his blessed appearing. James encourages his readers. Folks, don't forget that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming back. Folks, patience in God requires trust. It requires trust in the promises of God. And we will not be patient. In fact, we cannot be patient if we doubt God and his plans. Did you get that? We cannot be patient if we doubt God and his plans. It's interesting that this reference that James uses to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the early and late rains is used throughout the Old Testament and it speaks, each time it speaks about God's faithfulness. It refers to the faithfulness of God, his faithfulness to his promises, to his steadfast commitment to those who, have call, who he has called as his children. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, He that is God will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rains, that you may gather in your grain, your wine and your oil. God will do it because he is faithful. God is faithful. Well, we could keep going on. question that I don't know might be in your mind right now is this is that if God is faithful and we need to be patient in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in the midst of all this hardship what about us as Christians living in this world can we then defend ourselves or do we just have to be you know like the doormat for people just to walk all over in our being patient are we just allowed allow, should we just allow people just to get away with this well of course the answer is no We have to wait patiently on God, yes. But we also need to speak up for what is right in this world. We need to be be speaking out for what is right and just. And we'll we'll, we'll cop ridicule and oppression for that. Yep, sure we will. We need to be a voice for God in this world that speaks out against all the evil and all the unrighteousness. Yet, however, when we then cop it ourselves... We need to remember that, you know what? Jesus, first and foremost, is our example. Jesus is our first example. Jesus, it says in Romans chapter 2, sorry, it uh, speaks of um, in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, when he, that is Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But instead, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. Jesus himself, when it, when it came to, when, it, when the, when the, when the, um, all of the, uh, the evil that came towards himself, all of the injustice and that sort of thing that he endured, he entrusted himself to God, but he still spoke out about it, against it. 
He spoke out against the Pharisees. In Matthew 25, woe to you Pharisees who do this and this and this. He spoke about what is, he spoke out about, you know, what is wrong in this world. But when it came to him, he himself was able to, to trust himself to God. The prophets themselves were, uh, were, were oppressed for their faith. And although, you know, they spoke out for those again, those who, uh, who were, um, who were, you know, acting evil and that sort of thing in the world, they themselves spoke out about it and they even spoke out in defense of themselves. Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1, um, Ahaziah, who is the king at that particular point in time, he's a king who's doing evil and he's following the way of, of the, the foreign gods around, around about and, he's, and he falls through the roof of his palace. I don't know how he did that. He falls through the roof of his palace. So he sends his messages to go to the prophets of Baal and to ask whether or not this is actually going to kill him or not. And so off his prophets go and they meet Elijah on the way. And Elijah says to them, "What is it? There is, isn't there a God here in, in, in Israel that you can uh, that you can um, you know sort of go and inquire of? That you've got to go to all these other gods?" And then Elijah says, "No, this. Take this word back to the king that this will be the end of him." And so they go back and they and they, uh, and they give him this word. And so Ahaziah, he is just so livid with with Elijah that he sends his army after him. And, uh, and Elijah is confronted with his, with his, with his soldiers. They come towards him and Elijah calls down, you know, calls down judgment from God upon them and they die. So Elijah was actually sticking up for himself in the midst of that. But what we need to remember is that is three things very, very quickly. And I'm going to go through these very, very quickly to end. That when it comes to, to, to speaking up for what is right, particularly when it comes to ourselves and, and how we deal with oppression, first of all, that we need to know that it is wrong to take personal vengeance. Romans chapter 12 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So firstly, we need to remember that, that personal vengeance is not on. That we've instead got to, we've got to trust that to God. Secondly, we've got to, we've got to examine our own hearts and lives. We've got to check our motives. So that before we judge others, we need to judge ourselves first. Matthew 7. You know, before you judge, remove the plank out of your own eye before removing the speck out of your brother's eye. So that's another principle we need to remember when we, when we, when we, when we react to this sort of, uh, this sort of stuff in our lives. And then if it is a fellow believer who has wronged us, that we, have, we need to follow a, a, a practice that is set out for us in Scripture in Matthew 18. We need to go to that person first and try to be reconciled with that person. Remember that, 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 that it's about reconciliation, that we're meant, we're meant to be people who are about reconciliation in our, in our world today. All right, I've... I kind of chopped a fair bit of stuff out there this morning. And so probably, I'm sorry for the end of that kind of seemed a little bit kind of disjointed. It probably, it, it seemed a bit to me, so it probably did to you as well. But there's some principles we need to remember, isn't there? That when faced with wrongdoing and evil in our world today, particularly if it's directed towards us, that we need to be patient. We need to be patient because what's, what's going to happen? Jesus is coming back and Jesus is going to deal with it. 
We don't need to. Jesus will deal with it. And Jesus is the righteous judge and he'll deal with it properly. Because as sinful and fallible human beings, we probably won't. But if we're going to try, we need to remember that it's not our job to take vengeance. It's not our job to retaliate. We need to to also take a look at our own hearts in the midst of it. And ask God to examine our hearts and motives as to why we want to, we want to, you know, we want to address this issue. Is it because we want to get vengeance for ourselves? No, let's let, let's let Christ deal with that. And if it's with a fellow brother or sister in the Lord, then let's do it properly. Let's do it according to scripture. Let's not go instead, you know, go gossiping to those, you know, those people around about us and, and build up our little sort of, you know, our little sort of armies and that sort of thing with which to sort of, you know, battle against that group over there. Let's go and deal with it one-on-one. So, have you been wrong lately? I bet you have. At some point you will, guaranteed. How does James urge the mature believer to respond to it? Just what we've spoken about this morning. So it's our choice, folks. It's our choice. A humble Dependence upon God, a trust in him and his promises that will enable us to be patient in the midst of these circumstances. Let's pray. Father, this morning we think of uh, Psalm 37, verse 1 to 9, that says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade away like the grass and wither like the green herb. Instead, we are to trust in the Lord and do good. Establish our hearts that, that James says here. Dwell in the land and bring friend faithfulness. We are to delight ourselves in the Lord and, and we know that in that he will give us the desires of our heart. Lord, today help us to commit our ways to the Lord, to trust in him, knowing that you will act according to your ways and your purposes and to your, according to your time schedule. The Father, the hope that we have is that you will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So help us as your children to be still before you and wait patiently for you. Help us not fret over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out those evil devices. But instead, Lord, help us to refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Help us to remember that, Father, if we fret over these things, that it will probably only intend, it will only tend to evil in our own lives. Father, we thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus and that as we, we are his children who wait patiently upon him, we know that the promise is that one day he will come. We will inherit the land. We will inherit heaven. And, Lord, we will be forever and ever in the glory and presence of Jesus Christ where everything will be perfect and right and just. What a, what a great hope that we have as Christians today. Thank you for that hope and help us to continue to be reminded of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live in light of that, for we ask it for his name and for his glory. Amen.